What's up, everybody? Well, we are down to the last letter out of the seven letters that John wrote to the seven churches. This letter is super important as it relates to the times that we are in. Each church has presented important lessons for us to learn from. These lessons can apply to both the church as a whole as well as the individual. And in the final letter to the church of Laodicea, we find yet another very important lesson. This church symbolizes the state in which we find much of the church today, in a state of apostasy. Apostasy meaning a departure from. And the way I want you to understand the use of this word is to understand what happened in the church of Laodicea. Okay, today we will take a look at the seventh letter, seventh and final letter that John writes to this particular church. The meaning of Laodicea can have a few variations, but ultimately it comes from two Greek words, one meaning people and the other meaning just or justice. It is a term primarily used in relation to legal jargon like lawsuit. You know, so you could say that Laodicea means a people of justice or even fairness. This city was prosperous and strong economically, and so was the church. They needed no help from any outside sources. They were self-reliant, self-sufficient. You know, they wanted for nothing. So why are they the only church of the seven that gets no praise from Jesus? Not even a little bit. All they get is one big rebuke. Let's find out what went wrong in this church that seemed to have everything. The church was a prosperous uh, commercial and administrative center for the Roman Empire. But when Laodicea was destroyed, they accepted no help from the Roman Empire. This was unheard of at the time, but this city was strong enough financially that they could fund the rebuild and the work themselves. The church there was strong financially as well. They would have had the nicest building, the best seats, the best lighting, you name it. Everything would have been first class. They were fat and happy, so to speak. What did Jesus have against them? From outside appearances in today's times, you would just assume they are very blessed, but Jesus is not pleased with them in any way, shape, or form. Look at how Jesus introduces himself in, to this church. In verse 14, it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So what is Jesus trying to convey with this threefold description? First, he says, these are the words of the amen. The word amen means, so be it, it is true. So here again, we, find, we have Jesus referring to the fact that he is the truth and his words are truth. You know, by beginning with the statement, he is setting an authoritative tone for the message that is coming. And he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. What he says will be. They will come to pass. They can be assured of that. Okay, So the Laodicean church can be assured of the fact that what Jesus says will come to pass. Then he is described as the faithful and true witness. He was there before time, in the beginning, you know, and he was faithful to his word. He came as the only true witness of who God is, of creation, of heaven, and all the things to come. He was faithful to God and to his word. Jesus is the culmination of all of history. And we can know the character and nature and heart of God because of Jesus. And because he bore witness of that and, and shared that 
you know, uh, during his ministry. So then he reminds them that he is the ruler of God's creation. He is the Alpha, the Omega. Through him, all things were created, and apart from him, nothing was created that was made. In a nutshell, he is telling them that his word is true and final, and what he says will be, and they can take that to the bank. So like I said before, this church gets no commendation or praise from Jesus. He starts right off with his rebuke, which is lengthy compared to the other letters. You know, verse 15 and 16, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. A more accurate description of this phrase is he will vomit them out of his mouth. With this phrase, you can tell that Jesus is disgusted with them. You know, to be hot would be to be a believer on fire for him, and to be cold would be to be a non-believer who acts like a non-believer. Instead, they have gotten comfortable and do not want to rock the boat. They would rather make the believer or non-believer feel good and comfortable instead of pushing them or challenging them in their faith. Essentially, they cannot tell the believers from the unbelievers. Verse 17 says, you say I am rich, or I'm sorry, let me repeat that. It says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. As I said before, this church was wealthy and self-reliant and clearly uh, acts like they, you know, they act like they had it all together. But Jesus informed them that they are the opposite of what they believe they are. I don't like the, you know, not like the, the smaller churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia who were rich in faith. Jesus says this church is poor in faith, regardless of all their material possessions. Then he says they are blind and naked, meaning they cannot even see the sin that overshadows them. They are blind that to their own wickedness, to the fact that they uh, that a lot of them were not true believers. You know, so they are blind to 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 the fact that they're lost in their sin and and. They're blind to the truth. When he refers to them as naked, you see, as you will see in the next verse, he is referring to their lack of salvation. They do not possess the white robe that symbolizes salvation, as we have talked about in the previous letters. Now, to be clear, there were some believers in this church, but there was a rise of unbelievers among them who were not being challenged with the truth. They were not learning to I mean, I'm sorry, they were learning to talk the talk, to look and sound like a Christian, but they were not. The truth was not in them. In the next couple of verses, Jesus instructs them to seek him so that they can obtain true wealth, you know, and and be rich in faith. So they can, you know, be rich in, in in the spirit, you know, so they can be refined by the fire. Let Jesus burn away their impurities, their wretchedness, so they could be, you know, like pure gold. Then he wants them to cover themselves in white robes, the white robes, and hide their nakedness, you know, or shamefulness. You know, he wants the unbelievers to become true believers and cover their sin nature with the righteousness of Jesus. 
the last part about the the salve for their eyes um, would have hit home because the, this area was known for a popular eye medication that was was known for treating numerous eye infections or eye problems, eye diseases, so to speak. But Jesus is saying, come to me so that I can help you see the truth. Unlike Philadelphia, this church was not reliant on Jesus. They had withdrawn from being dependent on him. They were not challenging the believer in their faith, nor were they challenging the unbeliever in their lack of faith. What good is it to have a church full of unbelievers if you're not sharing the truth of God's word in a way that brings conviction that leads to repentance and salvation? If the church allows the unbeliever to be comfortable enough that they remain in their sin and have no conviction to find true salvation in Jesus, then the faith of that church is poor and lukewarm and wretched in the sight of Jesus. This is a real danger to the church believers. When unbelievers begin to influence the believers, it can lead to apostasy and compromise. Jesus says that he would prefer them to be hot or cold, meaning he would rather them be on fire for Jesus, for him, and the mission of the church, where you are making a difference for the kingdom and leading the unbeliever to repentance so that they may find salvation in Jesus, as well as challenging and sharpening the faith of the, of the Christians, of the fellow believers. Or he would rather them be cold, meaning you acknowledge that you are an unbeliever because you can still be open to salvation if you admit that you are an unbeliever. But when you are lukewarm, like so many in this church, you believe that you are a Christian when you are not. Think about how many people in church today think they are saved, but they are not. They walk and talk like a believer, but the truth is not in them. Jesus says that there will be many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Despite their unbelief and their lukewarm faith, Jesus reminds them that he still loves them and that is why he is calling them out and being tough on them. Then once again, you see the grace and mercy of Jesus. This church gets the longest rebuke of all the churches, but he still offers them his grace and mercy and another chance to allow him you know, into their lives so that they may truly know him and be saved. Jesus, you know, Jesus tells them, okay, I have told you the truth of your condition, and now I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. If you let me in, I will eat with you and you with me. This is his way of saying, I am not currently in your heart, but I want to be. And if you will let me, I will come into your life. I will redeem you. I will give you an inheritance of eternal glory. If you let me into your life, I will let you reign with me in my kingdom. This letter is actually one of my favorites because it shows Jesus' love through his rebuke and discipline and correction and then through his mercy and grace. You know, you see the heart of Jesus and no matter how bad you are or how much his, he disciplines you, he will always be there to offer you grace and mercy and forgiveness. You see how much he desires to have a relationship with each of us. It says he stands at the door and knocks. 
Think about that. The author of creation, the light of the world, stands at the door of your heart and knocks. He pursues us. He seeks us out. That is powerful, and that is love. This letter speaks of a church that doesn't know real persecution. They are well off living in luxury and abundance. They are comfortable and don't want to rock the boat, don't want to offend anyone, so they, like many today, avoid certain topics or se- or sections of Scripture. You know, just look around at the state of the church today and be honest with yourself. Remember, Jesus isn't fooled. But seriously, look at the church as a whole, and you will see the striking resemblance of it to the church of Laodicea. This letter confronts the lukewarm state of the church today, catering to the feelings of the unbeliever and the political correctness that has ravaged society, leading to the latest cancel culture. Churches have grown comfortable with their current state and are no longer challenging and sharpening the believer's faith, and they are not provoking the unbeliever to come to true repentance and faith in Jesus. The unbelievers in the church don't realize they are even lost. They have the head knowledge but lack the heart knowledge. The church must wake up and get on fire for God once again. Speaking the truth of God's word entirely and without fear, we must boldly proclaim proclaim his truth and stand against every lie from the enemy. That doesn't mean that a prosperous big church is bad or that every church is lukewarm. I know big churches like the one in my hometown that is financially strong and blessed, and they have many resources, but they are using those resources to reach souls for Christ by the droves. They are using all that they have to reach as many as they can. And the salvations and baptisms are evidence of God's anointing on them. But the body of Christ as a whole has become lukewarm in many areas and no longer stands up against the lies of the enemy. We don't want, you know, we don't want to be canceled or offend anyone, so we remain quiet and stick to messages that will tickle the ear of the listener. There are some churches that are on fire, but we need that fire to spread throughout the body of Christ. That will lead to revival and a soul harvest like never before. Jesus, I come to you asking you that you would help the people. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Teach us and grow us in our faith through your word. I believe we are living in the period of the Laodicean church, and I'm asking you to pour out your spirit on your church, bring revival to your people and set us on fire for you. Give your people and especially the pastors a boldness to declare your truth and a heart to lead the unbelievers to faith in you. Let us not get comfortable in our faith, but use us, Lord, to spread the good news. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us live boldly for you and be a witness to those around us. May our faith and testimony be a catalyst that provokes the unbeliever to find salvation in you. And give us the strength to stand against the lies of the enemy and hold our fellow believers accountable as iron sharpens iron. In all this, may you receive all the praise. Amen.